Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's been two years, man. Of, of, of waiting, man. For my supporters and my fans, man, I know y'all been waiting. Now it's finally here. In 2007, I saw my next guest live for the first time on Randall's Island in New York City during the Rock to Bellas tour. He was on the Pay Dues stage. Of course, I played his music prior to back in college, but it was great to see that he wasn't just an incredible artist in studio, but put it on an equally incredible live show. He's about to release his latest project with Ninth Wonder called The Iliad is Dead and The Odyssey is Over. He's Murs, and I want to welcome him to the library with Tim Monaco. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, bro. Cool. Appreciate it. Of course. Uh, so, of course, of course, I you know I do want to talk about the new album, but I've always I've always wanted to ask you a question about one of my favorite tracks by you, uh, "Can It Be" off Mars for President. Uh, okay. You released it, you know, two thousand eight, and on the track you used uh, "I Want to Be Where You Are" by the Jackson Five. As an artist, right. and I presume as a fan of the Jackson Five, um, when you use a Michael Jackson inspired track, knowing the allegations. How do you go about, you know, separating, I think, the man from the artist? I mean, you know, now that I have two kids, it's kind of, I realize he's such a soundtrack of my life growing up, uh, that, you know, there's that constant debate, like, do I play him for my kids? Do I not play him for my kids? How do you go about that? Man, um, sheesh, man, this is a difficult thing. It's a, um, it's very difficult for me to acknowledge anything and sorry you know if it offends anyone but it's very difficult for me to acknowledge believe or any anything said by white people against black people mm-hmm. it'd be it'd be it'd be ludicrous to just take a white person's word against a black person's word um just historically um and especially a black person in power mm-hmm. um that said um i've heard from people of color um, close to him that, that, that he may have had issues, you know? Right. Um, so, um, I, I, I don't, man, I don't, I don't, um, I, I treat it like the OJ case. I treat it like any other case. I've, I tell people this, I've never known a black man in my life to face a white jury and get away with anything, but I've known many black men to face a white jury and get con- convicted of things that they, they never done. Right. But the American justice system is not in the business of letting black men free when they're guilty. Right. Um, I know that Michael Jackson was tried in Santa Barbara, which is one of the richest white counties in America and in California. Um, so it's, it's just that that particular story that's coming to light now is hard to believe. Um, and at the end of the day, um, I, all I can do is go 
off of the music that I made. And uh, hip-hop is all about uh, taking negative circumstances and making them positive. So if you, if I were to believe you was guilty, I did the best I could with that song and made it into something positive. Um, you know, it and for me, it's also there's probably pain in that song regardless because, um, you know, he was an abused child. Right. Um, which gets, I guess, glossed, which got glossed over and made into a, a TV epic, you know, which I couldn't, I never watched. Right. Cause I don't want to watch my hero be beaten and mistreated and children abused. But it was okay to broadcast that. Um, I think if, in fact, his children were harmed, I think it's it's horrible. And I think it's horrible what happened to him. Um, but like you said, it's separating the music from the um, from 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 the man and his history and his um, legacy, however tarnished or or you know dark it is. Um, um, I, you know, I, I didn't take anything into account and use it like any other sample. I was I was blessed to be able, you know, and also too, like when you look at that too, it's like sampling Motown sucks because nobody that played those instruments, nobody that wrote that song gets paid. Right. Joe Bell Publishing right. gets paid. So it's, it's all fucked up if you start to if you start to think about it. All I think about is what am I gonna do um, for myself and for now with that track, so I don't get into a lot of. The, um, the, the histories or, or the sample base and on that album I did get into something with James Blunt who I read his Wikipedia and I and we sampled him for a song and uh, I wanted to do something that honored him because that song meant something to him that, you know I looked into it um, when it's something older like that which I, I can't talk directly and there's no way I'm going to be able to talk to Michael Jackson or the person who wrote that song right. could have been Smokey Robinson could have been Sarita Wright could have been Steve well, who knew you know right um so when I can reach out, definitely I, I, I try to. And when James Bond agreed to let us clear the sample, I, you know, I definitely looked at his Wikipedia and like read what I could and like reached out to him. And you know, once it was done and he was happy with it and agreed to do a video for it. But with Can It Be was just kind of me going for um, making the best of a be of a dope beat and uh, a song that, like you said, like regardless of all the history, the song is those songs are a part of our lives and our childhood. And I kind of like it's weird. I, when I the reason why it's one of my favorite songs on the album is because it's, it, it's I just kind of pictured it, it was that opportunity kind of for you or you know just as an artist to kind of even though obviously you weren't on the original track of that song it was kind of like you were on the track of that song during this 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 particular uh, track you did on on Mirth for President. Yeah, I would definitely, and it was a, it was one of the last songs. Now that you bring that, it was one of the last songs added. Uh, so I was at, that's why it's called Half a Million Dollars Later, because they were still making their, that's been half a million dollars on me recording and flying all over the country and, you know, advances and stuff to keep, they were keeping me off the road, so they are giving, you know, kind of like a salary to stay home. Um, and I was just, like, I was at my wit's end at that point. I think I wrote that in a hotel in Newport Beach. Wow. Um, just like... At my, at my wit's end, but uh, also my um, publicist at the time, Richie Abbott, who was going on to become a friend of mine, listened to the record, and he's like, I know you, I've been out with you, I've been hanging out with you, and I don't hear anything on Mercer President that's like, that, you. Mm. You need some songs. So I did The Science and Can It Be. Um, those were the two last songs I did for the record. Uh, I think both beats are by Scoop DeVille. And that conversation came back because I wanted to remake La Rasa, and he said, "Nah, but you can <laughs> you can take these beats." 
Um, there's a, I, w- I warned you earlier that I'm going to try to spit some of your lyrics, uh, or just to say your lyrics, and I hope I don't do a bad job doing it. But um, you know, on, on Canopy, you spit, um, all these rappers want to talk about is guns and dope. Don't you they realize we're all at the end of our rope? The future all depends on the power of the, our quotes. The power of a pen, the power of a vote, the power of your words, the power of your voice, the power of America, the freedom of choice. We choose to do nothing, we lose and we're suffering. Uh, if you take these lyrics today, how, how in, in the current political climate, how, how relevant are they today? And then what do you think is the role of, of hip-hop, but also rap music, when it comes to politics or social, social awareness? Um, I think, I don't know if we can go backwards, I, I think that uh, the purpose of hip-hop or any art is just to, to, you know, to make you feel or think. Um, I don't think it has any, you know, it doesn't have to be righteous. It doesn't have to save the world. It's art, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then going back from that, yeah, I think it's, it sucks that what I was saying is still relevant. Um, but, you know, history repeats itself. Right then we were kind of at the end of it. And it was, the, you know, when I was recording that album, Barack Obama was an idea. And through the course of that album, I'd already made a merch for president and then he decided to run and it became weird. I was like, Am I gonna fuck up his thing? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like a rap album. I was like, oh shit, there's a black candidate for president. I you know when I named this album, we started this journey. There was not a such thing, you know. Right. Um, and he, I think he was saying he wasn't gonna run still. Uh, it hadn't been announced yet. Like I started, I started this in '06. And uh, yeah, so that was that was that was weird. But it, we were just coming out of the George Bush era. Um, and now we're back in, and America has a cycle like that. Every eight years, every two, you know? Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate, but now I think well, this is, it's, it keeps getting worse, and I think that's what happens. History repeats itself, and, you know, we, you know, it's like if you walk in a circle and you dig in a deeper hole, you walk the same path, and now we're in a deeper hole. You know what I mean? This is a level lower than, or higher, however you want to see it, than George W. Um, or whatever the last George was, was I don't know which was the George W. Too. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, George W. And there was George H. W. Before him. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I think it was a, a horrible time. And and the funny thing is, I was talking to my wife about the other day. Like I started my album, and I always wanted to go back and change it. Um, Cause like there's kids dying in Sudan, and nobody gives a fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just now, like everybody's changing their icon avatar on IG and. All this shit. And I'm like, you know, I've been talking about this for 11 years, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that was the first thing I wanted to say on my major label debut record was something about those children, especially the children, but the people in general. And even that point, that's why I was so pro Joe Biden at the time um, when the record came out. I was hoping Biden would win the election and Obama might be his running mate because Biden on an interview of all the Democrats, I think on Oprah or something, he was asked like what he would do to stop the problem of Sudan. And I was happy that the media was, mainstream media was addressing it. And Obama and everyone else up there said, yeah, we're going to impose more sanctions. And then Joe stood up and was like, oh, fuck that. These people are, are thugs and they're gangsters and they're violent. They don't, and they don't only respect force. We need to go in and show great force and make, take immediate action because this is necessary. People are dying. Mm. And uh, I liked his passion about it. it. Could have been full passion, you know what I mean? Right, but, but, it, was but it, a, it was like you. Know, yeah, I was actually raising the issue. Yeah, and I was like, yo, he's like, yo, you can't impose sanctions and economic sanctions on a place where there's fucking no economy. It doesn't make sense, right? 
like taking nothing away from people, taking stuff away from people who have nothing to take away means nothing. It means that you feel good about saying you're doing something when you're not. Um, so yeah, going back all the way back then, um, yeah, man, I thought it was important to say those words. I thought, and I did those songs every, every weekend on Walk the Bells and, you know, I tried to put that message out there. And that was the first video. And it was, it, like I said, it was the last song and the first video and it became the cornerstone of the album. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, it didn't make a difference. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a president 50 years from now that said they listened to that song one time and they liked it. Um, you know, we turned uh, this past March marked the uh, 15th anniversary of uh, Mars 316, the ninth edition, uh, with you and Ninth of Wonder, um, your album together. Uh, it was released under Death, 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 Death Jux Records. I'm sorry about that. Um, what when we when we think of labels, what what record labels especially? What was the importance of uh, Def Jux to your career? But also, what do you think the importance of it was to uh, the hip hop community? community? Oh man, Def Jux was extremely important in my career. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I just it was amazing. That, I, I was telling this in the interview the other day. I think. It's fitting to say here, I think like LP did for me what like Chuck and the Bomb Squad did for Ice Cube. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like took, took a white West Coast kid and kind of like gave him a bigger platform and LP reaching out to me when no one on the West Coast wanted to be friends with me, you know, or, or help me out or give me a solo deal. He said, yo, I started this label and, you know, I want you to, to put out a record, man. Come stay at my house. Come, you know. Here's, you know, a little bit of a budget. This is the first time I had been in a real studio, been on a real, you know, been in Best Buy. Um, it is, uh, it is definitely a pivotal moment in my career, and that's why I ended my first album, the end of the beginning, because it was the, the end of me making demo tape music and like, all right, I'm on, a, I'm on a bigger stage. People are, you know, it wasn't the most money ever, but people were investing money into me, and I got to, I got to make it count. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be, you know, today, today, uh, today marks the, the five year anniversary of the late Sean Price's, uh, passing. Uh, you know, I was listening to Brighter Days and you do actually, you know, and you spit, uh, you do say, man, I miss Sean P or Sean Price. Um, what, you know, we, what, 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 what was, or for you personally, what was Sean Price's impact on you as an artist, but also, you know, what, what has, have we lost in terms of his art by him not being here? Oh man, we've lost one of the most, ah oh, man, like, uh, he was the kind of father that I wanted to be, mm -hmm. um, like the kind of rapper I wanted to, like the kind of rapper I am, like when we hooked up, it was just like, it was cool, man, like he had jokes, you know, for, when we first hooked up, I was a huge, I met him first time, he does no one remembered, but I was 15 years old and they were doing a Smith & Wesson release party in L.A., and he walked in, and I was like, oh, my God. He slapped me. He was so huge to me, especially being back then. I was like, oh, my God, rock and rock. Oh, it helped us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Session at the Dog Hill is one of my favorite songs, and his voice on there is amazing. And uh, I was in awe of him. And then uh, I uh, met him a couple years later at a show. And I heard he was, was one of the like infamous Mike Tyson work that he worked on, and then mm. come out, yeah, I was like Mike Tyson, and I have a Mike Tyson tattoo, and I just ran up on him and showed him my tattoo, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, cool, you kind of like, 
And we were both backstage, and I was, like, headlining the stage. You know, he was headlining or playing on another stage. I was headlining another stage. I was, like, I, mean, I, was, I was pretty well known. I'm sure he knew me. He was, like, all right, son, you know? Mm-hmm. Nice to meet you. He was respectful. And I was a corrupt, so I think he was a little nicer. He probably would say, shut the fuck up or slap me. Um, and then from, you know, I kind of in there. This friend who's one of the many friends that I, I'm happy about Rock the Barrels and Tate, who's where it became. Where it became like a family union. He was one of the people I looked forward to seeing every weekend. Right. Uh, or, you know, and uh, you know, me and my wife, ex-wife, me and my ex-wife were out the ferry with him and um, his wife, and it was just like a moment for me. Uh, yeah, I can't. I've had many moments with him that are probably not memorable to him, but memorable to me. You know, right? That's awesome. I cut my hair. He's one of the first people that saw me that since I cut my hair, and I walked up to him and I think I tapped him. And he, like, I, I had never seen that side of him. Like, where it was like, I thought he was about to slap. What do you say, Earth, Wind, and Fire? <laughs> like, I thought he was about to. Because we were in Brooklyn, it was, he was opening for Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar, I think, first show in Brooklyn. I went to see K Dot. You know, I didn't think I was going to catch him. I saw him, I was like, hey, what's up? And like, you know, what's, you know, like a little tap on his shoulder or something, and he turned around. I was like, it's, it's Merce, it's Merce, it's Merce. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's like, oh, B, yo, what the fuck? You cut your hair? Yo, man, you know? Yeah. He gave me a lecture about not cutting my beard and so forth, and we laughed and we joked, and it was all good. Before a split second, I was like, this is that Sean Price. <laughs> this is the Decepticon Sean. Like, I'm like, oh, God. Um, man. He had me download a fishing app on my iPad that I got into because, you know, man, um, you know, he's one of the other people that I felt the need to, like, like apologize to when I did the Animal Style song. Because um, a lot a lot of my friends are definitely more street and mm-hmm. urban, got a lot to the left. Like, that's your man's right there, kissing a man, you know what I mean? <laughs> And so I wasn't apologizing for what I did. I was like, man, I'm sorry if you've had to. Because I've never even person to, like, speak up and defend me. I think maybe someone had told me he had, you know? Right. And I was like, I'm sorry I put you in that position, man. And, you know, he's like, man, I know you're crazy. And you're like, whatever, you weirdo. You know, he's like, man, fuck out of you. Just so many levels, like, who he was. Then we could get into the music. He helped us get, like I said, his personal session at the dog here. The sign is my probably one of my top two favorite albums. Like, if that nail out all is dead. Mm. Um, and that's my favorite verse on that album um, and it's so short um, and then when Health of Skeleton came out every Health from from the first Nocturnal to Dirt dope just dope bars um, Jesus Price Superstar I could go on man uh, just honest simple but complex but just straightforward delivery man and, um, and authentic he is who he says he is and that's, you can't say that, but a lot of rappers are who they say they are at times. You know what I mean? Right. Sean Hines was who he says, and Sean Price was who he said he was all the time. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Um, I want to turn to the new album, The Elliot is Dead and The Odyssey is Over. It's your seventh album with Ninth Wonder. Um, how has your writing, how has your writing improved and kind of uh, or or also been pushed throughout this, you know, all the albums, these, these collaboration processes, these uh, that you've done with uh, Ninth Wonder. Um, it's been pushed just with the MC I wanted to like. Every time there's a different element. Um, 
the first time his studio, Mike is the kind of guy that has a lot of people around. And so the first time was we were in the basement of his dentist office in North Carolina, and Fonte would be there someday, Pooh would be there, Sean Don, Joe Scudder, like, you know, MCs I had heard about and I respected and grew to respect even more. But they're all, you know, I, and they're super like South, Southern East Coast vibes, and I felt like I had to represent for L.A. That's kind of when Murray's Revenge and 316 was there. Like, I felt I was, you know, and then, you know, especially with the second album, people are like, oh, you give Mercer on the dope beats, and like, I didn't deserve them or some shit. And, uh, and then, like, well, a lot of West Coast producers that didn't fuck with me started fucking with me because I fuck with Knife, and I wanted to show them, like, yeah, you wish you had me on your beats. <laughs> so I was definitely had a, had a chip on my shoulder. Um, during during those first two albums and the next the sweet lord was uh in his house and the funny thing uh jada who's jdef beats who did high noon on the new album she was just born she was one or two like my kids you know in the background mm. and uh <laughs> she was born i think at murray's revenge and then when we went back to this we did the album every year around thanksgiving for a while um and so she was in the house. We didn't curse on that record. We decided not to. And then we were babysitting her most of the day. And, uh, you know, I'm like, yo, like it was just, it just became about writing stuff that kind of lasted. Like we kind of had to build this legacy now. And it was, you know, like people love the first two records. And, you know, now we're just, you know, we're friends, we're family, you know, and it became about kind of like writing to document that. And, uh, I had really been studying, uh, Elton John and, and Bernie Taupin at the time. I consider us kind of like that duo. You know what I mean? Right. Except for like opposite. Like I'm the LA flashy kind of more flashy out there kind of guy like Elton John. And Bernie Taupin is a simple, you know, you can't take me out. You know, you can't take me in your penthouse. I'm going back to my plow. Like Yellow Brick Road, like it reminded me of that. Like he's the country dude. Still lives in the same house he bought with his first rap money. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the LA kid recording with him. And that, that. So that was kind of, that was kind of live on the third one, and I was kind of writing to kind of like to document that. And uh, the fourth album was done in LA. The fifth album was done in North Carolina. It was supposed to be the last one. And ironically, after that, three months later, I got a call out of nowhere to adopt my oldest son, and he is. And I had to go right back to North Carolina three months later and stay in the same hotel room. Um, which has nothing to do with my writing, but that, that those the the for never album was kind of like writing to bring ninth into my vibe. It was more of a West Coast vibe, mm-hmm. and uh, having people like Corrupt, Shaker Free, Sick Jack, and Uncle Chuck on there, uh, you know, really pushed me in, uh, to like do stuff to be with people. I think Sick Jack is one of the best lyricists. Corrupt, one of the best lyricists. Sugar Free, they're the best lyricists on the West Coast. Um, trying to trying to um, solidify myself, maybe. And our brand as also a West Coast legendary brand, not just a boom bap brand. And uh, E. Jones contributed musically a lot to that record. Uh, and then Final Adventure was kind of just the end and getting over. And the first song was kind of easy, like uh, in my delusions of grandeur, passing the baton to Rhapsody. Right. Um, kind of like Meek Mill. Oh, I'm not Meek, Jesus Christ. Memphis Bleak on uh, uh, Hard Knock Life Volume 2, I believe. Uh, that was that and was kind of ending it and then uh, Brighter Days was very therapeutic I was writing that's a uh, kind of new album but the sixth album and it was just me going through the very beginnings of a divorce and a relationship falling apart um, just finishing a tour that was kind of shitty and weird and 
just it was just fucked up time in my life. And when he called and said, "Do you want to do a record?" I said, "Yeah, we can't really put it out there like that. I'm gonna, you know, I'm working on this deal, but you know, I just want to do something with you." I was like, "Cool." No, I can't pick you up right now, love. Um, I just wanted, I got to get this off. And, uh, but yeah, it came around and uh, just wrote from the heart on that one. And then uh, this one was my wife saying, after everything we've been through, past few years have been divorced, getting remarried, um, death of a newborn, our infant child, and birth of a new child. And my son was now you hear in the background was about five months old. She said, just go to North Carolina two weeks and just every other album you've done for the past few years has been a month's turmoil and chaos. Just go somewhere, right? And I used, that's what I used on the first two albums. I was, I was locked in a hotel room and I would be listening to beats during the day with night and then I'd go to the hotel and write and come up with two songs and come back and record the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh yeah, uh, I keep to get away from that from two weeks. I missed them dearly, but I had to make it worth it because my wife had to work harder while I was gone, and uh, I wanted to make it worth it. And uh, the inspiration for this album was I feel like the two best albums of this decade in hip hop wise came out of North Carolina, which is 2014 for So Drive, and uh, Layla's Wisdom by Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be in North Carolina and do something because I feel like there's great music coming out of there from the artists there, from that place. And uh, writing this time, because I was trying to make it worth it from being away from my wife. And, you know, also, there's a gang of MCs in Jamba now at Bright Lady Studios that could be recording when I'm recording. They were literally waiting. There's MCs and, and, and singers and producers in that studio round the clock waiting for a room to come up open. There's only two rooms to record. And uh, they gave me priority. But so whenever I wanted to go in, I was stopping someone else from creating. And I have respect and all those artists are dope. So I was like, what I got us doing here has to be just as dope as what, or doper than what they're doing. Right. I'm, I'm fucking up the rotation and uh, so I had that on I put that on my back and maybe unjustly like everyone's cool but I felt that way I was like I gotta come and contribute to this legacy to this movement that's going on here I gotta put something down that's worthwhile so all of that kind of drove my writing now topic wise like all of that to say why hear the beat I write whatever comes to me okay. um, unless it's a song like Animal Style which I've had in my mind for a long time but it's rare. I'll hold on to a song until I hear the beat for it and have it written. Um, but everything else, especially with Night, because there's a vocal sample or he'll have a weird name for the beat or I'll hear it and something will come up or he'll say, you need to rap about that. And uh, so, I, yeah, I can't really speak to unless we want to go through all 70 something songs. Like what led me to write specific topics. But that's the vibe of each album. Actually, I, I want to talk about uh, a couple of the tracks, but not in a way where I'm going to like have you, you know, break down everything you've done. Um, the track uh, "Gas Station Gucci Belt" it features a sample from Rhapsody's "You Should Know," uh, and then you yes. go to "High Noon," another track. It actually features Rhapsody. Uh, yeah. One question is: Is there a connection for you between these two tracks? And also, you know, as you've said in your, as you've said in um, 
a different album, Final Adventure, off the track of it together. You, you, you know, you said you declared Rhapsody is one of your favorite artists out there. So, what is it about her and her art that kind of it makes her one of your favorites? Um, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> the fact that we know each other and we, we get along and we have, you know, our homies helps, but I'm homies with a lot of rappers that aren't my favorite, you know? Right. Uh, I just like the way she approaches. Um, I like her work ethic. She, uh, she definitely has been devoted to, to the, uh, to her craft. You know, I've seen her growth. Um, and that's inspiring to I me, mean, her dedication and her level of speed, how she's risen her skill up. She was dope to start. She's just gotten doper. Um, oh, yeah, I think that's it. And uh, you should know it's one of my favorite songs ever. Um, and and my son's, my oldest son's favorite song as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just having a chance to sample. And I knew it was a sample we could clear. <laughs> we could clear. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we kind of messed up if she, if she pushed you not to clear it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be heartbreaking. <laughs> um, on the track on Night Shift, you spit, I wasn't making shit fill, uh, fill in the club because I wasn't talking about all the killing and drugs. Um, yes. Uh, do you think, I mean, w- w- basically, why do you think that there there is a push to put the, the music about killing and drugs into the club versus, I don't know, you know something else? I mean, something you could say more empowering or more, you know, storytelling in a way. Um, I think that rappers became self-important and, uh, people got started, I don't want to say man producers too, they, I think hip hop that requires thought wanted beats that require thought and not so much more cerebral. The music became more cerebral as the MCs became more cerebral and it kind of sectioned us off from the club music. And the club music is, as Kanye is saying, I was very root chakra. You know what I mean? Right. So you kind of spit to that thing. Um, it's definitely not the conspiracy label that labels. You know, I was on a major label, and the president of Warner Brothers told me, you should put out Sweet Lord on Warner Brothers. That's your best music. You and I make the best music. Mm. I'll put that out right now and put all my money behind it. So the myth that they're forcing people to talk about that stuff is, not true. Right. But unfortunately, it's a life a lot of people live in or want to pretend that they live because this, this America, as we see, is in love with the bad guy. So much so that we put one in office. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, whether you think you're not, because you're anti-Trump, you're not part of the problem. You could be anti-Trump and still be a, a base level violent, you know what I mean? Right. So it's a human being. Um, but there's a root in that, in that, in that type of meaning. A lot of rappers, what they rap about is more similar to what Donald Trump represents than what Barack Obama represents. And it, it unfortunately resonates with people. Right. You know? And if the people made the choice to listen to different things, then, you know, record labels are just here to make money, you know? Right. They wanted to sign 10 more public enemies than public enemies are selling records, I'm sure. You know? Yeah. They're trying to copy them, copy the formula. They don't care if we decide that we want to hear, you know. But we got us. We're always looking for skill. We're going to blame Donald Trump. We're going to blame. We're going to blame the record labels when it's us. If we get out and vote, and we decide that we want to make a better America, we can do it. Um, and if we get out and uh, you know listen to start listening to music, you know, look at Kendrick Lamar. I don't think that he made a radio hit on purpose, but they had to start playing his music because he was the number one rapper in the world. Right. 
I feel like the radio came to him. The radio came to J. Cole, you know? Yeah. He didn't he didn't make records for them, but they have to find a J. Cole record to play. Otherwise they're irrelevant. Um, the track uh only Robin's pocketbook is a to me was a, is a very heartfelt track about what you've you kind of done throughout your career, the paid dues tour, putting your cats on and giving them a chance. Uh, and you've kind of talked about it earlier, but looking back like, so far, what what kind of roadblocks did you have to experience as a younger artist? And and when did you when did you kind of make the decision that um, you're not going to be that artist that puts roadblocks up for these younger artists? Um, definitely, I made the decision when it was done. When I figured, like, oh shit, and when I saw, like, when I was talking to Quali about it, like how you know, hey, motherfuckers will shout him out. You know what I mean? But on the West Coast, no one was just weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so I wanted to do something for for the people behind me, and uh, man, you know, do one others as you have them do one to you, right? Um, and not be bitter towards the OGs because they had their reason, you know. But I feel like the industry didn't want um, a different version of the West Coast. America wasn't ready for that. When I used to rap in New York, I remember rapping in Rocksteady Park and battling people and serving a bunch of people. And dudes be like, nah, B, you ain't from the West Coast. That ain't no Warren G, son. That's some East Coast. That's some New York rhymes, right? That's real hip-hop. And I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm from L.A., you know? <laughs> right where I'm from that chose to rap like East Coast rappers and make those kind of beats um, that uh, were uh, I don't know what to say sounding like East I call them six borough rappers you know right. so I wanted to make sure that I didn't do that so that's why I wanted to create pages or close like a Casey Veggies or a Dom Kennedy or Kendrick or a Curtis King or a Schoolboy Q or Absol or, or Noah James will be the bass guy, you know? Mm. Uh, I have uh, just two more questions. Uh, you know, as mentioned, this is your seventh album with Ninth Wonder. What has been some of the, the highlights for you during the recording process, but also kind of what, 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 what has surprised you the most, I guess, about uh, Ninth Wonder's creative process that maybe you, you just you know, didn't realize that he, he did, you know, it may, whether it's a technical thing or, you know, building a beat thing in front of you. Um, I mean, I guess like he's, his production style hasn't differed much, how fast he makes it. What's been amazing is seeing how the industry has come to him. Yeah. Um, people used to make fun of him for making beats on a computer and now everybody makes beats on a computer. Um, so like, you know, having things like native instruments cater to people who make beats on the PC or on a laptop or a computer has only like, I think helped him excel and expand his brand. Now he teaches, now he's teaching at universities, people how to make beats on computers. Um, that's been amazing to me. Um, and then like a person like anecdote is like I said, like if you listen to, and I love it on sweet Lord was yelling, not yelling, but like, talking about Jada, his, her, son, her daughter is a toddler being crazy because she snuck downstairs in the middle of us recording and took a whole box of Cheerios and poured it on the table. And then when we got down there and said, Jada, stop, stop. She looked at us and then scattered the Cheerios all over the room, all over the kitchen. And laughed hysterically. <laughs> and then I have footage of her at the very same table playing the beat she made at 15 years old, 14 years old for my album. 
same very exact same temple in the same house. Oh wow. And I told Knight, I was like, Your career's over. <laughs> She's way better than you already. <laughs> a lot of people go, Yeah, I got the ninth wonder he used to rap over and I've heard so many people that are influenced or want to bite him. She's the real deal. And she is a monster. And uh, so I was I was just blown away. But so that's like the biggest like holy shit moment I've had with Ninth Wonder. That's crazy. Shit. Wow. Um, all right, this is my last question. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Uh, so I, so I, I'm turning 40 tomorrow. What can I expect for being 40? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you're just going to start having kids like I am. You're in for it. Do lots of yoga. Stay <laughs> healthy. Good point. I, I suggest a, a vegan diet or some type of whatever is beneficial for your body because it's a long haul. Um and, uh, yeah, man, I don't know. It's not what you thought it was. I, mean, I don't feel as old as I thought 40 was. Being 41. Uh, yeah. Nope. Uh, new album is The Iliad is Dead and The Odyssey is Over. Uh, it's a Murs and Ninth Wonder new project. It's a great album. Comes out Friday, August 9th. Uh, Murs, it's truly been an honor to talk to you on the library with Tim Heineke. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, Tim. Have a good one. Every era has a job rule a little both. This is shit you listen to and the shit you quote. I don't divide the lanes, I just stay in mind. And you can hear it when I hit the stage and say it rhyme. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.